you guys want to open Deuteronomy 21, that's going to be our first passage this morning. <clears throat> I've never spoken on this subject, and I'm not just trying to fill out my, my repertoire. Um, I'm speaking on this subject because it's something I needed to hear, and I because I speak so infrequently, I have the luxury of doing that. I can speak on things that I need to hear about. Um, and I hope that it's something you find useful as well. It's definitely based in the scripture, so in that sense, we can all gain something from this. Um, and as I say with other lessons and even in Bible classes, this is not uh, some way for you to diagnose other people. And this is not me trying to look out and diagnose you. This is uh, reflective. This is for me to look in the mirror and see if, if I'm doing what God wants me to do. And I'm, I hope you will use it this way as well for yourself. That you will look at God's word as a mirror and say, is this me? Do I need to make some changes? Um, because it's easy to look at other people and say, you're a sinner. It's really hard to look in the mirror and say you're a sinner. Um, but that's what God calls us to do, right? Is recognize, see ourselves as he sees us. Um, the reason for this lesson, or I would say part of the reason for this lesson, is that over one-third of the population of this country, 100 million people, are self-reported as being obese. Now what that means is when you go to the doctor and you give them your height and weight, you've just self-reported because obesity is determined by your body mass index. Just a ratio of your weight over your height squared. If you want the math, you can see me later. I calculated mine in preparation for this. Um, that's a lot of people. You know, a hundred million people It'd be different if it was 100 million people in the world you know, out of 7 billion, but it's 100 million out of 300 million are obese, as self-reported when they visit doctors. Uh, my intent here is not to solve the United States obesity problem. Um, my intent here is to help us as citizens of another kingdom who are here for a temporary stay not be influenced by the place in which we currently live. And we can be influenced in this way as with any other sin. We may start comparing ourselves to other people and say, well, I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. My neighbor, the majority, I'm not as bad as the people on TV. That's not how God judges sin. The United States is not the standard for sin. And as long as we're just not as bad, then we're good. We need to look at what God says about these things and not compare ourselves among men. So we're going to talk about gluttony today. And it's not probably, well, it may not be exactly what you think it is. I was surprised when I looked at the meanings of these Hebrew words and Greek words, that they weren't exactly what I anticipated them to be. 
Deuteronomy 21 is a passage, it's the first passage I see that mentions it or talks about it specifically. And it's not, you know, the 11th commandment where God said, and thou shalt not be a glutton, right? Um, In fact, it's not even a commandment against gluttony. If you look in Deuteronomy 21, verse 20, um, this is when parents have a rebellious child. And, And the child just will not submit, refuses to submit. This is what's given and told to parents that they should do. They take the child to the elders, and in verse 20, they shall say to the elders of, of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Now that Hebrew word there has nothing to do, actually, with eating. Um, it has to do with excess. Just given over to excess. But I think it is properly translated glutton here as we understand the word glutton because it's tied to drunkenness. It's tied to being a drunkard. And you see that throughout as I looked at these passages. Gluttony and drunkenness are just mentioned together constantly. And even Jesus said he was accused of that. Right? And so that gives us insight into the meaning of the word. It's not just in general excess. Yeah, you, there are lots of ways that God condemns just blatant excess, right? self-serving, self-centeredness, all of these things. But when it's tied to drunkenness, there is, it is carrying this idea of just eating, being defined by excess, right? More than your body needs, or, and many times more than your body really even wants. Right? It's excess. And that's what defined this child. And if you read on in Deuteronomy 21... What God says is that child will then be taken outside the city and all the people will gather together and stone that child. So if you're a parent and you know that this is what's going to happen, right? This has to be a very serious problem for you to take your child to the elders and say, I can't. You know, this isn't when a child throws a tantrum. So we're not talking about a one-off incident. You know, oh, I had a big dinner, so now that defines me. We're talking about a serious problem here. But it goes back to this idea of excess. Am I defined by excess? Am I defining any part of my life? Am I just given over to excess in that sense? James read for us Proverbs 23. And I thought thought that was a really interesting context. Um, Because just like Deuteronomy 21, it's not a command that says, you shall not eat more than two pounds of food per day. Or, you shall not be a glutton. That's not, that's not in the text. It's almost like God, it's so assumed by God that he doesn't even have to say it. The first time you see it is an accusation against a child, right, a rebellious child. So it's so bad that God doesn't even say, don't do that. It's just going to show itself. And Proverbs 23 is the same way. Do not, if you, if you go down to verses 20, 21, do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. The exhortation here is, again, not to be a glutton or a drunkard. It's don't even be seen with them. Don't, don't let that be your company. 
Again, think about that. That's that's so bad that God isn't, or you know, the 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 writer of Proverbs isn't even telling his son, "Now be wary, don't be a glutton." It's worse than that. He's saying, "Don't don't be seen with them." Of course, you're not to be one. You're not even to be around them. Don't be identified with them. Right? And again, the, the the word that's used here, the idea that's used in this Hebrew word, is just somebody who's just given over. To excess, it defines who they are. It's like when you think of that person, this is what you think of: excess eating, excess drinking, right? Alcohol. And if, if you're in Proverbs, turn over a few pages to Proverbs 28. It's the same kind of idea. I just wanted to bring this out. Proverbs 28, verse 7: He who keeps the law is a discerning son, but he who is a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. Again, if you, if you put yourself in the shoes of the son and you hear that from your dad or you read that, okay, it's not, he's not saying a glutton, right, humiliates his father. He's saying a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. It's not even to be part of my sphere that I move about in, right? And companionship here is not just like we think of acquaintance, right? We think of somebody who's working alongside of us, someone with similar goals, that kind of companionship, right? So the context, I think, tells us that this is associated with food because it keeps mentioning drunkenness alongside it, right? Excess. Um, you know, gluttons are all, all are nearly always associated with this over intake of alcohol as well as food, um, and this association helps us understand the nature of the sin. Right, drunkenness is over, t- overdoing the intake of alcohol. Right, we know what that is, and then you take that same idea and then you apply it to food. It doesn't have the same effect on the body, but it has the same source. Right feeding this appetite or this belly or whatever, right? It's excess. You know, in the New Testament, that word was used accusingly of Jesus. Um, In Matthew 11 and Luke 7, there's this similar phrase. If you want to look at Matthew 11, 19, it's not actually used saying, Jesus, you're a glutton, but it's Jesus saying, this is what they say about me, right? Jesus says, this is what they call me. Matthew 11, verse 19, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children or by her works. This word here, this Greek word, now we've moved from the Old Testament into the New, right? It's in Greek. This Greek word is what we think of when we think of the word glutton. This word is like the noun form of the word of the verb eat. An eater. Like it, it's who you are. Oh, he's an eater. I mean, we, we even use that phrase sometimes now. Oh, that he can eat, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I've I've said it right. So I, I've lived through the period in my life where I quote unquote could eat. You know, I mean, I could pack it away, right? Just because I stayed skinny doesn't mean I wasn't a glutton. 
right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about excess, right? More than the body needs, and sometimes more than the body wants, right? That's this word that Jesus uses here. That's, that's the only, in fact, these are the only two places that that particular word, as we would think of glutton, is used. An eater. Jesus said, if you look, an eater and a wine-bibber, that's kind of how that word is used there. And then there's another place in Titus where we have a Greek word translated glutton, and I just found this kind of amusing. And also, I, I had a better understanding for the, how, how harsh a statement this was about Cretans. Uh, in Titus chapter 1, Paul quotes this statement of a person from Crete who is called a Cretan, right, about their own people. Like we would say an American, right, for them it's a Cretan. In Titus chapter 1, verse 12, he says, One of them, right, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And that word in the Greek is the word that's used for, like, stomach or womb. Just... He's saying they are lazy stomachs. That whole person is just a stomach. They just consume. That's, that's how they're defined. right? So, so going through kind of these Old Testament passages and these, these New Testament passages, the purpose for this is to get an idea of how God views gluttony. What does God think about it? Um, how is it characterized? It's, it's kind of gross. I mean, when you, when you look at it through kind of God's eyes and you think about it, and the words that are used, that are various, these various words that are translated glutton or gluttonous or gluttony, right? it's, it's about feeding this appetite or letting this appetite get so out of control that I'm just going to keep taking in, taking in, taking in excess. Right? Um... So I think it's fair to say that it is tied to eating. Even though there's really only one, the one word in Matthew, Matthew 11 and, and Luke 7 that's specifically tied to the idea of eating, the context of all the others seem to be, right? A voracious glutton of meat, flesh, back in Proverbs. It's this excess of wanting to take in food. That's what it is. And I think the context bears that out. Um... And I think that's why it's drink to drunk, or linked to drunkenness. And linked gluttons are linked to drunkards. It, the same root problem is there. I don't want a little. I want everything I can put into my body until my body can't take anymore. Right? That same root problem is not just with food and alcohol. It's with any sin. Anytime we take an appetite that God has given us and we use it that way, we're sinning. And that's what this gluttony is. Oh, I know I'm a teetotaler, I don't drink, but boy, you put a whole chicken in front of me and I'm going to get a second one, right? Because I can and I want it. Do you see the root? The root there is me. And what I can do and what I want to do rules over anything else. Right. That's the root problem. 
So drunkards, gluttons, what I would say is they make a practice, right? And this is what we talked about. It's not kind of a one-off thing. Like I, I had a nice dinner, right? This is, these are people who make a practice of consuming either so much alcohol in the case of the drunkard or so much food in the case of the glutton that they actually turn themselves into a burden, right? When you think, it's easy to, when you think about people who are given to alcohol that they become a burden, right? When you're sober and there's somebody over here who's stumbling around drunk, right? And maybe they're your acquaintance, maybe they're family, maybe they're a friend, whatever. You feel like, okay, I've got to protect everybody else from this stumbling, bumbling person, right? Well, that's one kind of burden, right? But there is the same kind of burden with gluttony as well, right? The easy, the easy way to look at it is just feeding the appetite, right? The burden that that becomes. But think about this burden as well. In 2008, so... This is now seven years old, okay? Medical costs associated with obesity in this country were $150 billion. That's $500 for every single living being inside this country. Just, just associated with, with obesity. And, and again, I'm, I'm sort of speaking with these terms interchangeably and that's not fair. Gluttony is not always what leads to obesity. There are people who have problems that they could eat a cracker and their body turns that cracker into fat. I'm not talking about people with medical problems, right? But you don't have one-third of the population with that medical problem. Air doesn't turn into fat. Food turns into fat. So while there are some people who will be obese for medical reasons that they have no control over and they're being treated for, that's not the majority of what we're talking about here. The majority of what we're talking about here is I see, I want, I take. Because I can. Right? We're big on rights in this country. We've got a right. I mean, you, you could ask anybody now. We've got a right to anything we want. Even if it breaks the law. If I, if I just decide that I want to do it, well, then I have a right to it. Well, people view that they have a right to put whatever they want to in their bodies. I don't read that in, in the text of the Bible. It's not there. He bought us. So he has the right. So these people, and I, I say these people, I say we. I'm going to start saying we. When we engage in this, we make ourselves a burden on others. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, please. The word glutton isn't used in this text. But I think what we see, we see the concept, we see the problem, we see the attitude behind gluttony in 2 Timothy 3. I'm going to read the first five verses. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves... Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, 
slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now there are a few things in here that I think specifically you would tie to gluttony like without self-control. You know, I mean, someone who's just constantly feeding themselves, they say, well, I'm in control, I'm doing what I want to do. Yeah, but that's, you're not controlling yourself, you're letting your appetite control you. If you were controlling yourself, you would only be putting in your body what your body needs. You're not controlling yourself. You're being mastered by something else. So that's lack of self-control. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Well, I just like to eat. And I mean, I'm going to raise my hand on this one. I like to eat. And God has cursed me double because there are very few things in this world I won't eat. I mean, I, I, like, I like to eat. And I like sweets and I like... Give me the appetizer, give me the entree, give me the dessert, give me all, I want all of that, right? I like all of it. But if I, if I say, well, that's, I'm going to give in to that pleasure, and I'm just going to feed that pleasure, and my life is going to be about that, and whether or not it's what my body needs or my body wants, I like it. Well, then I've gone too far, right? I've gone too far. And I've let, I've let an appetite master me right, and become my God. So we have to fight it. And we have, to, we have to be conscious about fighting it because the influence is surrounding us. I was looking, just driving here, I was looking at the billboards that had food on them. Even the REI billboard <laughs> driving here has got this, it's like, let's go camping. It's got this, I don't know, sausage and egg and... Something thing, you know, you cook it on a grill out there where you're camping, which is nice, you know. But it's this, it's just hanging over the edges, sides, and it's kind of dripping grease thing, right? I mean, that looks good to me. Okay, I, I, I like I said, I eat anything, but I mean, REI is supposed to be like some outdoor store, right? I'm gonna go get in shape and I'm gonna go get in touch with nature or something. Even their billboard has got this food all over it. Um, you do have to fight it, and you do have to be conscious of it. And it's not, uh, and I want to insert this now before I forget to say it. It's not just the amount that we eat, but it's what we eat. I did a little research on fructose and sucrose and glucose and how the body reacts to these things. And it's really fascinating. It, basically, your body cannot store fructose. When you put it in, it's got to burn it. It's the only choice it has which means everything else gets stored, right? So there are things we can put in in small amounts, right, that harm us. Right? So we have to be careful. We have to say, well, is this something that is going to help me carry out my duties this day? Or is this just like this is my reward because I was good 
And so I'm just going to, you know, throw caution to the wind. Is that how we should be viewing what we eat? So self-control, right? Galatians 5. If you want to turn to Galatians 5, how do we fight it? I'm just going to give two examples that we can, we can dwell on to help us fight the attitude. Again, it's not fighting the eating, right? I can stop myself from eating relatively easy. It's fighting the attitude of excess that's hard because we're surrounded by it and we have it so easily available to us. I can get it quickly, so I want it. Right? It's that attitude that we have to fight. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That's a shade about excess we're not going to get into, but envy, right? There's always going to be somebody who's got more than you or something better than you, right? That's a, that's a different sermon. That's a different track. But that attitude of I desire excess and I want more all the time can lead you right down that path. Your neighbor's going to have more than you or something you want, right? So we fight it by having this attitude of self-control. And what did it say? And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Is that passion for excess crucified? Or are you kind of, you know, helping it along? It's not ruling you, but you're bringing it along just because you don't want put to it, put it away. And you, well... My passion for food isn't as great as what I see these, these sinners doing, right? We're really tempted to do that, right? Compare ourselves to what we deem as to be sinners and say, well, that's not me, right? I mean, that's what the Pharisees did, people. It's exactly what the Pharisees did. We cannot do that. When you look at other people to justify what you, are ha- what you have in your life, you got a problem. You have to look in God's Word. And God's Word says have self-control. The second one is generosity. Um, if you want to turn to 1 Timothy 6, I'll just read a couple of verses from Proverbs real quickly. You don't you have to turn there if you don't want to. Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. Proverbs 22.9, He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. A glutton wouldn't be interested in that. He doesn't have any extra bread. He doesn't have any extra water. I want what I've got, and I want more than what I've got. Right? So one way to fight it is to be generous. Do I have any more than I absolutely need? Then there's somebody else who needs what I have. Be generous. 1 Timothy 6 is where I wanted to go. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. 
Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. There are I would say there are few people in this country who would not fall into this category of rich, as Paul used the word. When we have what we need to survive and more, right, we're wealthy because we just don't need it. It's a pleasure. It's a luxury. It's, it's more than we need. Whatever. There's not, not anything wrong with having that. But this is the attitude we have to have when we have that. Be ready to give, right? Be ready to share. Well, I'll share everything but my food. Well, that's not ready to share. Right? I don't just want my food. I want your food. Why don't you share with me? Right? We can't have that attitude. We have to be both exercising self-control and beyond that, not just saying, I'm, gonna, I'm only going to take in what my body needs, but I'm actually going to give to people what they don't have for their bodies. You see how God turns it all the way around? He's like, stop thinking about yourself and start looking outward and realizing there are people who need what you have. That's why I think this idea of gluttony is so gross in God's eyes. I mean, it really is kind of nauseating because he looks down at that and that is so contrary to his character that his creation, with his image, right, are doing these things. That he doesn't even have to say, oh, by the way, don't be a glutton. He says, don't be seen with them. Don't make them your companions. So how do we diagnose it? And I don't mean in other people. Right? How do we diagnose it? So I'm going to list some questions that we can ask ourselves. How much physical activity am I engaged in? And how much energy do I require to accomplish it? Now, you may not know the exact numbers, right? But it's easy enough to find out what calories you're you're taking in. And you look at the label. Um, You know, Michael Phelps, when he was training for the Olympics a few years ago, in his training days, he would take in 12,000 calories a day. That's like five or six humans, right, with what they would eat. He would eat, you know, a carton of eggs and whatever else. I mean, you wouldn't look at him and say, oh, man, he's, he's a glutton or he's fat. That's because his body was actually burning those calories. I mean, he was engaged in an activity that was burning 12,000 calories a day. So he had to take that in, Right. Glutton is excess, right, beyond what you're biting. So it's going to be different based on what activities you're doing. That's why I'm saying I I can't stand up here. You know, the U.S. government tells you how many calories you're supposed to have. I mean, that's crazy. You You don't know, right? But you know, right? I sit at a computer eight hours, ten hours a day. I don't burn a lot of calories. I don't need a lot of calories. So if I'm eating a cheesecake a day, 
right? I got a problem. I mean, I'm just saying, those things are easy to see. Do that for yourself. How much physical activity are you engaged in? And are you taking in enough to support that? Or are you taking in too much? Um, do I ever stop eating before I'm uncomfortable? Because if you stop eating only when you're uncomfortable, that's not really self-control, right? That's like avoiding pain. <laughs> I mean, every human being is going to try to avoid pain. You know, if I take one more bite, it's, you know, it's going to burst. You know, it's going to kill me. Well, okay. That's not self-control. Right? Self-control says, I, I'm not in pain, and I'm going to stop eating because I've had enough. I'm going to control that desire. So I'm, I'm just throwing out some ideas. Ask yourself this. Do I ever stop eating, or how often do I stop eating before I'm uncomfortable? Right? I mean, your body is going to tell you when you're in pain that, hey, this is too much, but you've gone too far already. So are you, are you, you, know, are you sort of aware of what's going on? Basically, that's the question. Why am I eating? Right? Like, ask yourself that question. And this one, okay, guilty before you right now. I will have food in my hand and have no idea why. Like, my mind is off somewhere else. I'm thinking about work or I'm thinking about something, and, I'm, and I look down, I'm, why do I have food? Right? Why am I eating? Is it just habit? You know, I, I, I just got this habit where I eat a cheesecake a day. Well, okay, that habit's got to die. You know what I'm saying? So just ask yourself, okay, am I conscious? This is a meal, and I'm eating this, right, at the right time and the right amount. What am I eating? That's the last question. Ask yourself that. What am I eating? Am I eating something that my body can use and will use, right, to carry out my responsibilities or is this a reward, right? I'm instilling some kind of reward mentality with food. Is this, I'm just giving in to this. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having desserts or sweets. I'm going to continue to eat desserts after I leave here. I mean, I, I don't feel like that's gluttony, right? But if I eat a cheesecake a day, that's not a dessert, right? That's an addiction or whatever. I mean, that's, that's a real problem. But I'm saying... I have gotten into that with certain foods. My body did not need to be taking in that much of that kind of food. So ask yourself, what are you eating? So I think after you ask yourself these questions for a period of time, week, couple weeks, um, you're going to know. You'll be able to know and I think identify with yourself if you're eating to sustain the body that God gave you or if you're just giving into temptations to excess. Right? You're going to know. And that's what this purpose is. This is for self-diagnosis. Right? Um, because it's important that you understand that your body is not yours. Right? God purchased it. I mean, first he gave it his image. That should be good enough. But then he says, you know what? You tainted it with all this sin, and I want that remedied as well. So he bought it back with his son.
the answer to this, like with any other thing, is to model your life after Jesus. I don't think any of us imagine him like living his life as a glutton, like just practicing gluttony. That's not to say he didn't go to parties, right? He went to the wedding feast. I mean, he, he, he talks about, like, he didn't even want his disciples fasting because they were with the bridegroom, right? There's nothing wrong with, with that kind of thing. But we don't, see, we don't ever get the idea that he just gave himself over to excess, right? We need to think about that. That's who our king is. That's who our savior is. You know, so this lesson can be useful for anybody, you know, but it was targeted primarily uh, to Christians. Um, you know, if you enter into eternity having overcome gluttony, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I didn't do you any good. Right? You, you show up in judgment and you say, well, Richard said something about gluttony and I, I overcame that. And Jesus says, well, do I know you? Right, that's the question you don't want to hear. Um, we talked about the Passover and kind of the blood was the symbol on the doorposts. <clears throat> Jesus' blood is, will be our symbol in eternity, in the judgment. If His blood has been applied to us, the destroyer will pass us over. Um, and if it hasn't, the destroyer will enter into our house and destroy will be cast away into outer darkness. So while this lesson was very specific about something that I think Christians need to pay attention to, I want to end it by saying, don't feel like doing this one thing is going to get you sort of on some sort of good standing with God apart from Christ. It will not. You have to submit to His Son. If you need help today understanding how to do that, how to repent, when to be baptized, why to be baptized, tell me, tell Josh, tell Robin, tell Stephen. I mean, ask somebody here and say, hey, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I'm not quite comfortable that I have that relationship. Tell somebody. That's why we're here. We're going to sing a song that's designed to give you time to think about that and think about eternity and what you will say or what you will face in eternity. So if you would stand and sing, and if you need any help, please let us know.